Wow, just a great worship this morning, great time to be in love with God, but when is it not a great time to be in love with God, right? Even in your worst moment is the best time to be in love with God, it really is, and so I'm going to try to continue a little bit on emotional wholeness here that pastor's been, been teaching us about. Uh, you know, we... <laughs> We are emotional creatures, right? Everything you do in life has an emotional attachment of some sort. You came to church today driven by some form of emotion, and it may not be the same emotion for everybody. You know, it may be you come because you love church. You love being in the house of God. You love God. You may have come because you don't want to be at home by yourself, and you love companionship and being together and brotherhood. Uh, you may have come because you're afraid if you don't, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> we have a gamut of emotions that we feel because we're emotional creatures, and, and, and we all don't have the same uh, emotional drive because we have different experiences, we have different beliefs. We have different understandings at different stages of our life. That's all forming and helping our emotions to, to uh, uh, control somewhat our decisions if we're not careful. What Pastor said that poem he read was real fitting, you know, that if we just let the, th the choices of life happen, uh, you know, then, then we'll suffer the consequences of their, their bad choices. And, the, and you couldn't say a better thing about the very thing of emotions. If you let emotions choose your choices for you, then you'll suffer the consequences of those emotions, right? One of the more prominent, uh, uh, well, let's read our scripture first of all. Turn to me with Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, familiar passages. Get my fingers working right here. We're going to start in verse 13. You know, sometimes when we read Scripture, it's important to read context. And I know sometimes when we preach, we, we abbreviate and, and all that. So sometimes if you get a chance to go back and look at Scripture or something stands out to you, go back and read it in context. Because sometimes when we just read things and snippets, we don't get the full context and the full personality of what God's trying to communicate with us because God is a good God. And if you see God in any other picture than how good he is and the love that he has for you, the love that he has for humanity, if we see God in any other light than that, we are not seeing God in the full context. So, you, so it's, it's good to see uh, the full picture. So in verse 13, that's why I include this for you. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You were called to freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. How many of you like being free? If not, I'm sure we can take care of that. But we like being free. We like freedom. We were called to freedom, only don't let your freedom be an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in, the, in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are, are evident. Uh, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we think of our emotions, we think of a lot of feelings and a lot of different uh, ideas of what we would call emotions. But I, I found this article, I found it to be 
somewhat interesting because the person uh, boiled down our emotions actually into just six emotions. Six emotions and a lot of feelings. So distinguishing the difference between emotions, six emotions that, that every human being experiences is sadness, anger, fear, uh, joy, love, and peace. Let me say those again. Sadness, anger, fear, joy, love, and peace. You notice those first three aren't too appealing, right? Sad, sadness, anger, and fear. But uh, uh, joy, love, and peace, those are things we like to feel. But, but out of those emotions, you're going to have other feelings uh, such as, for example, with sadness, you might feel unlovable. You might feel lonely, needy, guilty, small, incapable. Uh, I won't read all these, but out of, uh, out of fear, you might feel worried, nervous, stressed, indecisive, confused, impatient out of fear. Uh, joy, you might feel lovable, independent, secure, self-accepting, powerful, all out of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So there's a lot of feelings that come out of that emotion that God has built into every person that's ever been created. There's feelings that flow out of those. And sometimes we look at feelings, and I have looked at feelings as though they are my enemy. <sighs> Don't want to have feelings. I just want to be able to make the right decisions without being manipulated by my emotions. But if you go that direction, it's because you've been disappointed by your emotions, and there actually is some very positive emotions that help motivate us and move us to good things. Every one of us, the Bible says that if you see your brother in need and you shut up your bowels of compassion, how can the love of God dwell inside of you? So there is emotions that compel us to, uh, to do the right thing or to do good things and to bring glory and honor to God. So emotions are not bad. They're more or less a measuring or a barometer of what may be going on in us at that moment, good or bad. They're more or less just a, a measurement of what we're going through or where we've been. Now, let me say real quick that, that not all, when we say sadness, uh, anger, and fear, there are parts of sadness and anger and fear that are just a natural response of life. So no, not all sadness is, is bad. When you mourn the loss of a loved one, that's to be expected, right? You're, you know, that's to be expected that when you mourn a loss or grieve over somebody or, or some disappointment, those things are going to happen. But as a practicing emotion, a dominant emotion that lives in our life, we don't want to live in sadness and, and anger and fear all the time. God has brought us for freedom. And neither am I saying that there is a utopia of emotions. There is no place where you're going to hit this on earth, where you're going to hit this emotional stride where everything is just perfect. It's not going to happen. Why? Because we are flesh and blood. Because we don't have it all figured out. Because the Bible tells us that we see through a glass dimly. And we're just trying to, trying to find our way sometimes. And along with that comes mistakes, comes failures, comes frustrations, comes disappointments. All those emotions are going to be a part of life. And one thing I found, I'm going to interject this real quick, is that some of those emotions often in myself drive me to my own little self-pity party. You ever been there? You ever get in those moments where the one person you feel sorry for is myself, right? I feel sorry for me. But what I have, what I have seen in those moments where I am feeling sorry for myself is that my judgment drops way down. All of a sudden, I need comfort food, if you know what I mean, because I'm feeling sorry for myself. I need that pop and that chocolate bar because I'm feeling sorry for myself. And because of that, you know, our judgments drop. And that's just the light way in which our judgment, judgments drops because once we start feeling sorry for ourselves, suddenly we're not thinking of anybody else but ourselves, right? So in those moments, you know, our judgment has gone way down and our emotions are directing and controlling 
our behavior if we don't stop it. If we don't intervene. Because we, God has given us the ability to intervene in our emotions. Prior to Christ coming, prior to the Holy Spirit coming in our life, I don't believe man had, except for in pocketed cases, the ability to really intervene in, in control of what they felt and what was going on and their decision process. I think they were pr primarily driven by their nature. Okay? One of the, another prominent emotion that we often feel uh, is anger. Anger is one. How many have not felt anger in a year? A month? A week? A day? In the last five minutes. <laughs> Pass that one. Woo! Give it time when you're going... When you're going home, you're going to be out in traffic. <laughs> Give it time. You're going to be driving behind those people in the rain. You're late. You're supposed to be somewhere. Give it time. Anger. But you know, uh, there's a passage that we, that Tam and I talk about a, a lot, and, and uh, I tell people about that. It says, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, this isn't the passage I'm going to refer to, but Ephesians 4, 26 tells us to be angry, but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Okay? Well, what's that look like? Has anybody got that figured out? I mean, we've got our ways. Tam and I, we've developed certain ways in our household. It may not work for yours. You know, we never leave an argument unsettled. We're going to uh, try to find a place of peace in one way or another. Other people, they may need to go fishing for a while. They may need to have a little bit of time apart so that they can get control of their emotions and think more, uh, you know, with wisdom and understanding rather than with what's going on at that moment. How many of you ever been, been, you know, back to the feeling sorry for yourself, and you get to feel, and, and, and I mean, you almost feel anger to the point of rage. I mean, you could drive your hand through a wall. Been there in the last week? No, I'm not kidding. Sorry. Sorry. But we deal with these things. So the Bible says be angry and sin not. Now, here's what happens when we don't intervene in our emotions. And I'm not just talking about anger because if we go on and read in Ephesians chapter 4 there, it says neither give place for the devil. Okay, so after being angry and sin not, it's, it's telling us, listen, if you don't check your emotion, the enemy is going to come in and have a heyday with it. He's going to come in, he's going to enjoy, and he's going to wring every ounce of misery he can get out of that emotion for you, and he's going he's to mess with your mind. Now, here's, here's somewhat what happens when we don't understand that we have the ability to intervene. We don't understand that God's given us the power to be led by the Spirit instead of led by our emotions, and that is that we'll feel an emotion uh, intensely, and in our mind, we'll begin this argument against that, you know, whether we have a right to feel that emotion or don't have a right to feel that emotion, right? And I know that there's places amongst close friends or close family where you can get together and you can say, listen, just just spill it out. Just, just say it, and we'll work it out. You know, because Tam and I have done that before. Be careful. If you, if you invite that, be careful. Because <laughs> you might not quite be as ready as what you thought you were for that, uh, what's about to come out. But if you invite it, be willing to walk the process out if you're going to do that. So, so what happens, though, sometimes is the emotions come, and then our mind gets involved and our mind begins, has to decide, am I going to go with the emotion or am I going to go with what I know or what I believe? And sometimes the mind just kind of waffles there in the middle until we haven't, and if we don't fully deal with that emotion, what will happen is the mind will create a justification for the emotion. The mind will develop its reasoning as to why it has a right to feel what it feels. It'll develop that, and then what simply happens after that is then your will just simply follows suit. So instead of 
being led by the Spirit and the will of God and submitting our will to Him, too many times we find ourselves being led by our emotions, which our mind is justified and our will has submitted to. And therefore, we start, we start acting out on those things. And it's not pretty. It's never pretty. And you know, when you see it in yourself, you really get disgusted. You're like, oh, you know. I remember one time that uh, uh, <clears throat> I was, I had a lot of envy and jealousy, insecurity uh, in, in me, and, and uh, I was trying my hardest not to show it to anybody. I didn't want anybody to see it, and uh, I didn't want to see it. And, and, but, you know, every little bit, it, you know, some, something would jump out, you know, and, and it would and do this. Maybe nobody else saw it, but boy, I felt it. And, and it would just jump out and it would, it would act out and I would feel, I wouldn't feel good. You know, the, the side effect was, was, was not good feelings at all. Maybe it was in that category of sadness, anger, or fear, probably mostly fear. And, and it would slip out. And I remember one time I just went to God and said, God, I've done this a few times. I recommend it because uh, you go to God and you go, uh, God, I don't like me right now. I don't like the way I am right now. Help me. And God in his majesty knows exactly what he needs to put his finger on. And he'll put his finger on it. And that thing will pop like a balloon, and freedom comes back into your life. I know he took me back to a, a moment when I was probably third grade, and uh, you know we didn't grow up in a godly home, and but my and our our my parents were poor, and and uh, my mom come home from work with a brand new winter coat for my brother, but not one for me. So as a little guy, you know I didn't really quite understand how to process that. I just thought. I was being left out, and I wasn't as loved as much as, as he was, blah, blah, blah. And so instead of having my little meltdown in front of them, because at three, third grade I was way too prideful, <laughs> I went out the back door of the house, walked around the house, just bawled my eyes out. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, and I don't even want to be a psychologist. But, but somehow that started a root of, of sibling rivalry in me that God just just in that moment when I'm saying God help me I need delivered from this and he just took me back to that moment there was no I mean you may go through times where you go oh, I gotta forgive my mom I gotta forgive my dad I gotta do this I gotta do that you know or, you know it was just a and it was gone and when you when it's for freedom that Christ set you free freedom tastes pretty good so you stay there so there's no utopia. James 1.19 says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all, all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So this is what I tell people when we're dealing with anger. I said, you, you pretty much know because the Bible says, and I always quote it in a different version, the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. You can always pretty much bet when you are acting in anger, you are messing up. Period. Period. We well, said, so, well, Jesus acted in anger. Acted in anger. Well, you, you, you do that and you tell me how it works out for you. Because Jesus was cleansing the temple. You know what he did? He cleansed the temple. That was his goal, and that's what he did. He drove out the foolishness, the corruption, the thing that was standing between God and his people. He did that. But you and I, mostly when we act in anger, we're, we're messing up, pretty sure. So, so that's why it says be slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to listen. Then it says to receive again the implanted word because that's it's what, basically what James is saying. Put on the brakes. Hold up. Get the word back in your head. Think straight, boy. I think it was Gina that told me, uh, said last week, said that uh, when, when uh, people are angry, their IQ drops 20 points. Is that what it is? 40 points. 40 points. So you literally, you define the words there. You, you're, you really lose your mind. You know, when you're angry a lot of times. So, 
All right, so creating a biblical foundation. Let's look at a contrast here in Galatians chapter 5. Contrast of emotions. Uh, first of all, in the deeds of the flesh, it talks about, lists those types of sins and things like these, not all inclusive. But it says at the end of that, it says that, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we know in, in Romans chapter 14? It says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink only, but it's not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, right? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. How many want to inherit righteousness, peace, and joy? All right. Those who practice these deeds of the flesh, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you can bet whenever we are absent of some, whenever we practice or anybody practices these types of deeds, you can automatically assume that the side effect is going to be an absence of the joy, peace, and righteousness of the kingdom of God. It's just not going to be there. It's just, it won't matter how you try to reason yourself through it. It just will not be there. It will be absent. So your emotions are more of a gauge. If we learn to control them, they can be more of a, a measuring for to direct us back to the place where we ought to be. So the contrast of the, the deeds of the flesh uh, produces the, some of the emotions that we talked about in the first part, the sadness, the fear, uh, the anger. It produces some of those in a very unhealthy way. Okay, But then when we go to uh, 5.22, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Let's stop right there. Now, we know there's a whole other list after that. I believe that love, joy, peace are the core emotions that flow like a river through our lives that actually empower and enable us to do the, the rest of the fruit of the Spirit which is to demonstrate uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because when we're full of love, joy, and peace, when we're full of that, it's not too hard to be gentle, is it? It's not too hard to be kind. In fact, you probably just ooze it. It probably just pours out of you like a river because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that like a river that flows up from within, flows springs unto everlasting life. It's supposed to flow. And it's not supposed to be something that is stopped. It's supposed to be something that is churning and moving and going and pouring so that everywhere you go, you're pouring out the fruit of the Spirit because you're full of love, joy, and peace. Or when you do come up against those disappointments and and those failures or loss or whatever you might be going through, you have a full reservoir of love, joy, and peace to draw from. So, so think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace as, as the core emotional rivers of life that, that God has given us to, to uh, enjoy life, but I mean, but given us, to, given us charge to manage, to manage. Well, he said, what do you mean manage, Rob? Well, he told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, he said, Cain, why is your countenance downcast? Why are you angry? He said, don't you know that if you do good, that your countenance will be lifted up? That's exactly what he said. He said, don't you know if you do right, your countenance will be lifted up? But if you don't do good, then sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you are to rule over it. So God has given us the responsibility to manage this contrast of emotions that we deal with every, uh, sometimes every day of our life. So first of all, let me say this, that uh, you will not successfully manage contrast of emotions, what we're talking about here, without experiencing some loss. You will lose something. It's, it's inevitable. If you're going to win this emotional roller coaster, you're going to experience some loss. Now look back at Galatians uh, 5, um, verse 17. He says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you, you may not do the things that you please. 
the deeds of the flesh and all that comes with it, the emotions, and the fruit of the Spirit, the, the life of the Spirit, are in opposition with each other so that you cannot, may not do the things that you please. If you're going to win this battle, because you know what? You may feel angry at somebody, but you cannot do the thing that you please. Because if you do, you're going to experience an absence of the inheritance of the kingdom of God, which is, which is uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You're going to experience an absence of that. So you cannot do the things that you please. Also, the Bible tells the God's, uh, sorry, Galatians 5.24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you're not going to win this management of emotions without suffering loss, which means you're going to have to intervene and tell some emotions that are flesh-driven that they're dying on the cross. They're going, they're, they're, they're going to die on the cross. They're, they're, not, they're not going to rule over you. They're not going to dictate whether you're going to do the will of God or not, but they are dying on the cross. They've been crucified, crucified the flesh. That's why the Bible, why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Because that cross needs to be handy. Needs to be handy on the road when we're angry. Needs to be handy when we're upset with our spouse. Needs to be handy when we're upset with our children. Yep. Yep, sometimes I think Tam stands outside the door thinking, Rob, don't kill him. You know, just don't kill him. Every once in a while, she intervenes because I'm not intervening on my own. <laughs> Every once in a while. But we get there. So, so you're going to suffer some loss, which means you're not going to get to do what you want. Everybody say this. I can't have what I want. I can't have what I want. Can't. Live with it. Live with it. Accept it as a part of life. Accept it as a part of suffering that loss so that you can attain something greater. You know, because you're moving towards something that is full and that is, that is uh, life and healing and abounds in glory and grace. That's what you want to do. Just accept it as a loss. You know, people, and we've said this before, but sometimes people say, well, I'm just being honest. Well, you need to not be. And I'm not saying that you should lie. I'm just saying you probably should just shut your mouth. Restraint, yes. Yes. All right. So if love, joy, and peace are the core rivers of life, that emotional life that flows through us, what do we do to develop those? What can we do to uh, understand how that works in our life because, because we so often attribute our emotions to things that just happen. I just, I fell in love. There you are, in love. You fell in it. It just, just happened. You know, it didn't just happen. You know, you nurtured that. You built that in your heart and in your mind. You thought about it over and over and over again. And you, and you nurtured those ideas of what it would be like to be with that person and, and to be, spend the rest of your life. And you had this image of all their glory and all their splendor. And then you got married. <laughs> but the thing is, is she had an image of all your glory and all your splendor too. And then she got married. Then you had to figure out what it meant to be in love. Then you had to figure out what it meant to deal with negative emotions and negative thoughts and how to stay in love and remain in love and do those things. So God has given us a way. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to take these three real quick. If you believe me, say amen. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3 passage that pastor always talks about, verse 14, says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. That's important. That's important because 
while you're trying to control or develop the right emotions and deal with the negative emotions and manage those and crucify the flesh, you have to believe and understand that God has given you a power through his spirit to strengthen your inner man to do that very thing. If you don't see that and you see that you, you think that you're just by yourself and that God's not giving you the ability to overcome that, guess what? You're going to feel sorry for yourself and you're going to, and you're going to make bad judgments and it's going, to, it's going to collapse on you. So it's important that you get that. So verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And amen. God does a mighty work when we, when we seek out who he is and to discover all his majesty and his greatness because he's wanting us to be rooted and grounded. Rooted. Think about those two words, rooted. You got roots sunk down and you're, 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 you're stretching forth to discover new, new uh, revelations, I'll call it that, new nutrients, new love, new, new springs that God has. You can't even begin to fathom the magnitude of what God has if you just begin to stretch and learn and dig and find of, of, of his grace, his mercy, his love, and, and how it abounds. We, we, mind, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Think about being rooted and grounded, being stable, having a firm foundation. God wants us to be stable. He wants us to be rooted in his love because in that, we're not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. We're strengthened. We're, we're, we're uh, uh, not being deceived by the enemy because that's the one thing that the enemy try, it works to get at is whether you believe that God loves, loves you or not. He works to tear that down. But notice in, in Ephesians here, it says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length. Love has to be comprehended. And that word comprehended means to understand, to discover. You're going to discover new love. You know, I looked at Tam the other day. All you women, you can close your ears because I'm going to give the guys a line. I said, you know, I, I said, I know it's going to happen. I just don't know how it's going to be possible. She goes, what's that? I said, to love you more than I do right now. now you're going to have to wait some time or hope your wife forgets that line because it won't be as good. But, uh, but there's new ways. You know if you've been married in a long time and you know that your love is just... It's grown. It's found new avenues. It's found new appreciations, new, new uh, admirations for each other. It really has. So, but God knows that this is a foundation for us, but we have to comprehend it. We have to understand it, discover it. And here's, here's some, a few ways that I want to give you in, out of Scripture that, sh that will help, I think will help you. Um, Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, he is where he had went into the uh, Simon the Pharisee's house, and the woman who was a harlot come over and broke the perfume vessel and was put pouring on his feet, washing his feet, kissing his feet, and all this. And of course, Simon, in his religious piety, you know, that he was not like her, you know, thought, you know, surely if he'd known what kind of woman this was, he, he wouldn't let her touch him. Jesus, perceiving this, gave him a parable. And he, the parable was, uh, you know, that there was this master that, that had two, serve, two debtors, and one of them owed him, uh, five, I think it was 50 denarii, and the other owed him five denarii, uh, which what I looked up was a denarii could buy you 10 donkeys, so if you had five, you could buy 50. If you had 50, you could buy 500. I don't know what you do with them, but you could have them. Uh, and so Jesus asked him, said, he freely forgave them both their debt. Which one is going to love him more? And the principle that came out of that was this, that he who was forgiven much loves much. He who was forgiven little 
loves little. If you're having difficulty loving God, you need to dig deep into how much he has saved you from, how much he has redeemed you from, how much he has delivered you from. And if you think in any moment that you're not as bad as the next person, throw yourself down on the ground, knock yourself in the head and convince yourself that you're as bad as the worst and darkest sinner as, you've, as anybody else. And God had to pay the same price. He had to shed the same blood. He had to raise from the same grave for your little sins as what he did for their, their big sins, which are many, so that your love could match the love of that who's been forgiven much. When you ponder that and you rehearse that, when you think about your salvation, I can remember uh, uh, when I got born again, I'd been to church several times and I'd said prayers and all that, but there was a difference when I got born again. And, and I believe we were testifying, I was probably sitting about halfway back on that side. And, and all I could do is stand up and say, I feel clean. I feel clean. He has washed it away. That dirt, that junk, that weight, that depression, that anxiety, that frustration, that insecurity, he has washed it away. I feel clean. So if you want to develop love in God, use that. Do that. Practice that. You know, it's not... You know, we know that we are sons of God. We know that we're children of God. We know that we're heirs with Christ. We know that, that God has poured his kingdom into our life. We know that we're the head and not the tail, above, not beneath. We know that we're royalty in his house. We know those things. But never forget of what he paid a price to get you there. He paid the ultimate price and the, and the forgiveness that, that, that we need daily sometimes that we need is abounds in that grace and that mercy and love for us. Secondly, Matthew 6, 19, 21 is where he's telling us, he say, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, thieves don't break in still. He goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to develop a love for God, you want to get into the, into the Word and especially learn about Jesus because he, he reveals so much of, of the personality of the Father and the love of, of the Father so that we know Him in that capacity. If you see Him in what we said at the beginning, if you see God in any other way than good, if you see Him as a mean person, if you see Him as a, as a terrifying person, then you're on the wrong side of the emotional scale. And we can fix that. While we come to Christ, we accept him and receive his spirit in him, and we begin to look and learn of him. The Bible even says, in one passage says, you have not so learned Christ, meaning that, that there are ways that people practice religion that is not the way that Christ is. And, but when we learn him, we learn how gracious, merciful, and loving, compassionate, forgiving, uh, how awesome he is, how, how powerful he is. We learn these things about him, and we begin to lay up treasures about who he is for our, for, to us. What's he mean to you? I've seen a little Facebook post that somebody put, said, uh, you know, when you get to heaven, if you could hug any of your loved ones, who'd be the first one that you, that you hug? And I like the person's response, said, well, the first one I'd hug is Jesus. And then we'd group hug the rest of them is what they said. So so the first one I'd hug is Jesus. You, we got to lay up some treasuring experiences, treasuring uh, thoughts, understanding of who he is so that that's where our treasure is. And you know where your treasure is? Your treasure is wherever you invest yourself the most. If you invest yourself in, in things or, or, you know, some people invest their, themselves in cars, and that car is their baby. It's their treasure, you know. Some things have sentimental value, and you invest yourself into that. But we need to invest ourselves in Christ so that he is our treasure. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, well, Rob, I, you know, I can start to do that, yeah. You're not going to get it without suffering loss. You're going to have to crucify the flesh. 
You're going to have to say no to things. You're going to have to say no to yourself, no to people. You're going to have to say yes to Jesus, and you're going to have to begin to lay up treasures with him, and that way that love in your heart will grow more and more and more. There is also another way, and I think of the woman at the well when she when she left Jesus, went back to her people, she said, come. Now, she was excited. Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Now, if we put a person up here that promised you, that said, you know what, if you come here, he will tell you everything that you've done. You know how long that line would be? Now, if we were handing out $1,000 bills, you know, the line would be long. But if we come up and say, you know, you know this person's going to tell you everything you've ever done, that line would be short. Right. Nobody wants to come up and say, well, you did this, you did that, you know, you know, all the good, bad, and ugly. But there was something about Jesus in revealing her. Back to my illustration of what, you know, my example of when God just showed me the spot where sibling rivalry began. Something about when Jesus exposes those things, it's like a... And it's... <laughs> Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be, what? Soft? I, I forget the rest of it. But the Lord is, is a healer, a deliverer, a forgiver, and he is full of grace and mercy, and he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. They're good, they're not evil, they're peace, you know, not, not destruction. So we need to establish Christ if we're going to develop love in our heart, develop that love and be rooted and grounded in it. We need to establish him, I call it this, as our hero. When that woman went back and said, says, show you, come see a man told me everything I, I ever did, she said, can this, could this be the Christ? Could this be the one? He's our hero. Don't have any other heroes. He's the only hero you need. And if you'll dwell on that, we shouldn't have, no, I shouldn't say that. I don't care if you have posters on your wall of people that you, that sports athletes, whatever that you like, but, you know, put a poster on the wall of your heart that, that overshadows all those others because, because Jesus is our hero. All right, so rooted and grounded in love. That's something that you have to comprehend, discover, and understand and grow in. Uh, joy, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy and gladness. Genesis chapter 4, we already talked about with Cain. Uh, in John 15, verse 10 and 11, Jesus said, said, If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command, and I abide in his love. He said, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God's only regard to joy in your life is that you have it abundantly and that it's full to the hilt. Joy and gladness. But there is a way that we walk in joy and gladness. And here's the key. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to read it out of an amplified version. <clears throat> And the writer is talking about, about Jesus and, and describing him and what, what he has done and, and uh, what, God is, uh, what God is awarded with. It says here, you have loved, verse 9 says, you have loved righteousness, you have delighted in integrity, virtue, and uprightness in purpose, thought, and action. And you have hated lawlessness, injustice, iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of exultant joy and gladness above and beyond your companions. So joy, exultant joy, that's, that's some serious joy. That's joy that just triumphs over everything. You know, somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, your house is on fire and you still got joy. I'm not saying that would happen, but... <laughs> But it's a joy that just that abounds and, and is beyond, as he said, is beyond your companions. It is directly connected with, with your love of righteousness and your despising of lawlessness. That's where your joy and gladness. You want to know where 
there's joy. People can, we, I love humor. I love to laugh. And, uh, and I love Christian comedians. Uh, I think they're hilarious. Um, so I love to laugh. And that's good. But that's not joy. That's not a joy that abounds beyond our companions. There is a joy that comes when you know that you're walking in right standing with God, when you're, when you're practicing righteousness and you hate lawlessness, there is a joy that will fill your life. If that's absent, then just go back to this. God, I love your truth. I love your commands. I love what you tell us to do. I love that you told me to love my enemy. I love that you told me to bless those who persecute me. I love that you told me to walk a higher road than everybody else around me. I love that I don't need anybody else to do this for me or to hold my hand through it because you have put it inside of me to love righteousness and to despise lawlessness. And what will come out of that is a a confidence, a joy, a gladness, because you will walk in an integrity that is, it cannot be touched, be beyond your companions. All right, last thing, peace. So righteous living, righteous living produces joy and get gladness. Love has to be comprehended. Uh, peace, the Bible says, be anxious of nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications, supplications, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, uh, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehensions, what my version says, some, some versions say understanding, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Peace is a great way to, that I think that the Holy Spirit uses that emotion to communicate to us when things are on track, off track, on track, off track. So when we have that peace a lot of times in our heart where we know that peace with God, that we know that things are kind of on track, but when that peace begins to fade and it begins to wane a little bit, then we begin to realize that maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something that's off. What can we do? Okay. He says, he says but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Hey, something's wrong, go to God. Hey, God, <laughs> what'd I do? <laughs> did I do something wrong? <laughs> he might say, you know what you did. You probably already know before you get there, so you just well confess it and, and get on with it. But uh, um, when, we, when we pray and put these things before the Lord, a peace that passes comprehension. The word comprehension literally means your mind. You cannot wrap your head around this peace that comes when you lay yourself at the feet of God and you make your request and your petitions known to him and this peace comes into you. You can't always understand it. You're not going to. You don't have to. Well, God didn't give me an answer. Yeah, but I feel peace. It's all in control. God's got this. I don't, I'm, you know, I've... Whatever, whatever diversion we have, we're back on track and, and I'm, I'm communicating with God. So peace is, is a result of prayer and communion with God. A continual, regular practice of prayer and communion with God. Peace is a result of that. Not just peace, but a peace that actually says will guard your heart and mind. Will guard your heart and mind peace. You know, in the world that we have today, so many diagnoses, so many labels, so many things, you know, <clears throat> I think we need to get back to a foundation of emotional stability where love, joy, and peace are the anchors of our life and that we know we know how to achieve those through the spirit we know that they're not just some hopeful thing that we're letting someone else determine whether we have them or don't but they're things that we can have if we will follow what he's saying right so 
Do you know the love of God? Do I know the love of God? Have we experienced it? There's Chris Balaton was telling a story about a lady that he was counseling with that was really struggling, and uh, she, he just, uh, he just looked at her and said, "You know," he said, "I, I just," he said, "I, I don't think you really know how much God loves you." And then she rattled off a series of verses that she had memorized that stated God's love you, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you're struggling with understanding how much God loves you, memorize those verses. But don't just memorize them, meditate on them. And then don't just meditate on them, but believe in them. First John, there's a verse in First John that says that we have believed in the love that God has for us. You have to believe in it. You believe in these things. And so, you know, she rattled this off and he said, you know, he said, I don't think you understand that, that I know you know that God loves you, but I don't think you've ever experienced the love of God. And, uh, and she kind of got a little verbally combative with him, and they kind of went back and forth, and he finally just said, he said, how about we do this? How about I lay my hand on you, and we'll pray for you to receive the love of God, and, uh, and let's just see what happens. And she had a moment. She had a revelation of the love of God that she had never had before on the floor, crying, pouring out, God, I just didn't know you loved me that much. He said, now, I'd like to say that happened with everybody. He said, I've tried it at other times. didn't have quite the same result. But, uh, but God wants us to experience his love. He wants us to be strengthened, established in his joy. He wants us to be uh, confident in the peace that he has for us. And it's within our control, like he said. It's within our control. But not by ourselves. By his spirit. Stand with me if you will. Emotions... um, are great. The only time they're not great is when we don't know how to deal with them. The, the only time that, that um, we really dislike emotions is typically when we're having difficulty overcoming them. And they're, and they're winning. But God has put it in each of us, His Spirit, to be strengthened with might in the inner man. To intervene in the emotions. And to be like David when he said, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? I will yet praise him. There is ways that he has, he has prescribed in his word. There's he, his ways, the Bible tells us, are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. But if we can trust his ways, we'll get the very thing that we always want. Because the people who are walking in the deeds of the flesh and not inheriting the kingdom of God all want love, joy, and peace. But they're going at it through the flesh, and therefore they lose. But you and I, when we go at it through the Spirit, knowing that God grows these things in us, that we're never stagnant, we're never stopped. We're, when you think about that, you may comprehend the, the I, I tried to figure this out, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. This is a four-dimensional thing. I don't know anything four-dimensional. I mean, it is beyond our ability to measure. But yeah, he's saying it's so big, you can roam around this thing forever and continue to discover more of of the greatness of my love for you. You can roam around in your heavenly Harley all over the place or on your... Palomino or whatever you want to ride. You can go wherever you want to go. You'll never reach the end of the love that God has for you that he wants us to comprehend. Peace that passes understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. But it's only in him. Father, I just...
I ask today, Lord God, that you reveal, reveal our heart right now, Lord God. You told us to keep our hearts, to guard our hearts, for out of it flows the issue of life. Lord God, that when emotions and thoughts come, Lord God, that we're to take hold of those and analyze those through the light of Jesus Christ and see, Lord God, measure them. Are they good? Are they honorable? Are they acceptable? Are they worthy? Are they of good report? Is there any virtue? Lord God, we could dwell in your house, Lord God, and in your glory. Father, I ask you to help us, Lord God, to lay down and crucify the flesh. Lord God, so difficult, so hard in the moment, so hard when anger and and uh, frustration or disappointment or, or self-pity is rising so big. Father, I ask you to help us, Lord God, to crucify that, to suffer that loss, to do the right thing, Lord God, to go back to the implanted word, to go back to the praise and the worthiness of who you are, to go back to the worship, to go back to the meditations of our heart to you Jesus we give you praise let our worship be pleasing to you oh God Drink from the cup in your hand. Lay back again. 